Welcome back to the Brooklyn Poets Yawpcast for February 11th, 2019. Featuring poet Julie Hart leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic. I'm your host and MC once again, Jason Koo. The Brooklyn Poets Yawp is a monthly poetry workshop and open mic held at 61 Local in Cobble Hill. That's at 61 Bergen Street, off Smith Street, near the Bergen Street FG stop. For more info and to sign up, go to brooklynpoets.org. This month's open mic lineup featured Hannah Donovan, Keith Woodrow, Jerry Wagoner, Khadijah Tu Dramay, Julia Knobloch, Harvey Sauce, Bonnie Belay, Marietta Brill, Alan Braverman, Preeti Shah, Candy Wolf, Tim Gerber Fleury, Sarah Lynn Rogers, Todd Friedman, Arthur Russell, Laura Murphy, Bill Livingston, Joanna Hoffman, Jen Osaro, Alex Sarah Giorgio, and last but not least, Anthony Temperman. So, without further ado, let's get right to the poems of the Brooklyn Poets Yop open mic for February. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody. I appreciate that. Thank you, Tim. How's everyone doing? Good. All right. Uh, this is the Brooklyn Poets Yop open mic. For tonight, I'm going to try not to touch this mic or salivate on it. And uh, maybe you shouldn't get too close yourselves, unless you've been sick already. One of you probably got me sick last month. Uh, actually, no. It wasn't you. It was probably my students. They get sick all the time, for God's sakes. Um, wow, I'm just like, I'm so out of it right. I, sp- I probably watched like 50 hours of Netflix this, this weekend, which is, which is really not good for anybody. And it was like sitting in the same position on my bed for, for 72 hours. Uh, quite destructive. Um, but uh, I'm here tonight, excited to hear some poems and rehabilitate myself slowly but surely. Uh, a couple of things to remind you of. Uh, if you didn't get this flyer, a couple of our workshops are about to start. Uh, Laura Eve Engels is going to start first this Wednesday. There's still a couple of spots in that class if someone was interested. You'd have to sign up like tonight because it starts this Wednesday. You can do the math. Uh, yeah, it's the day after tomorrow. Thank you. Uh, my workshop is starting next Sunday in blank first. That one is sold out. Can't take that one. Sorry. Uh, I had one st- person just email me like five times. Can you make an exception? I was like, if I couldn't make an exception the first time, what makes you think I could make an exception the third or fourth time you email me to ask? She's like, this is the last time I'll email. I'm like, I don't believe you. <laughs> so I'm not going to respond again. Um, but yeah, we try to cap them at 10 so that the class sizes are not too big. Cynthia Cruz's is sold out as well, and uh, Jada Spani's online workshop is sold out. But luckily for all of you, Julie Hart's workshop is not yet sold out, nor is Marwa Halal's or Patricia Spears-Jones or J.B. Howard's. And then there are four workshops after this coming into spring. So uh, if you're interested in those, check those out. Also remember our Whitman Bicentennial Poetry Contest. I know some of you have entered that already, which is awesome. That deadline is coming up on March 3rd. Uh, all you've got to do 
is write a poem in response to that question. What is it then between us? We've got some wide interpretations of that question so far, some of which seem to have very little to do with that poem or Whitman or anything <laughs> uh, Whitman or Brooklyn related, but that's fine. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see uh, just how related the poems are. Uh, some are very related, which is great to see. Uh, that's sort of the whole point was to like write a poem in response to the question, but that's fine. Uh, we know how poets do. Uh, but look for that deadline. Definitely submit. We want to get as many good submissions as possible so that that bicentennial event, May 31st, is as awesome as possible. Um, we have an event coming up this Friday, a very special reading for me personally. My former teacher and mentor, Edward Hirsch, is reading on February 15th at 100 Bogart, along with one of my former students, some of you know, Kyle Leung, he's read here before, uh, and Laura Eve Engel, who I just mentioned, uh, who just, just so heartbreaking, went to the West Coast this last weekend to uh, launch her book with Octopus, which is her publisher in Seattle, and uh, it snowed so much that they had to cancel that reading and then another reading she had set up, I think, in Portland. So uh, she basically just flew out there I think on her own dime, and then they had to cancel both readings. So be extra excited to see her on Friday. Hopefully it won't snow <laughs> on Friday uh, when you see her, because she's definitely in need of some love. Uh, but that's going to be an amazing reading. It's probably going to also be our last reading at 100 Bogart, just because uh, they've raised the rental fee, so we won't be going back there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not sure why I'm whispering that. Yeah, it was all, all for dramatic effect, but uh, we're, we're definitely going to close this one out with a bang. Uh, let's trash the place. <laughs> yeah. This podcast will go out after February 15th, so we don't have to worry about it. Okay, so come out for that if you, if you can. That's free. Again, hopefully it's not, a, it's not snowing. I just found out my school is closed tomorrow. I was telling uh, Bill that it would have been nice if they had closed today. Where was the snow today? When I needed it, when I was when I was dying. Well, I, I'm, I think you know how hard it was for me to get dressed this morning. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> yes, apparently there is a snowstorm of like two inches on the way. It's brutal, brutal snow front coming in. Um, yeah, for for those of us from the Midwest, that sounds like uh, small potatoes. Um, so we have this filming going on tonight, which is extra exciting. I hope you all wore your nice outfits. Um, I think I wore this sweater with, with this in mind. Also, it was like the warmest garment I had. Because <laughs> I've just like, I've had like the fierce chills the entire weekend. It was really bad. Um, I appreciate your sympathy. But uh, let's get this rolling. So uh, you know the drill, three minutes max on the mic. Well, if you don't know the drill, you get one poem of three minutes max if you are reading. Uh, please keep to your time and the poem limit. It's important for the other poets that are reading. This is not just about you. It's also about the community of poets in the room. You take longer, you read extra poems, and another poet has to suffer. There are poets on the wait list that would love to get up here. So please keep to your time. One poem, three minutes max. We record the open mic as a podcast. We call it the Yawpcast. By the way, we are up to 18 five-star ratings on iTunes. That's amazing. You know what would be even more amazing? 20 five-star ratings. <laughs> I don't even set the bar high. <laughs> you know that moment in the social network when Justin Timberlake's, you know, like, you know, like, you know what sounds really cool? A billion dollars. <laughs> you know, he's like, a million dollars. Yeah, that sounds fine. But you know what sounds really cool? A billion dollars. So 18 ratings, that's cool. But you know what would be really cool? 20 ratings. <laughs> you know, or like 18,000 ratings. 
Uh, so two of you, go home tonight, <laughs> rate us on iTunes, but we do record it. If you don't want to be in the recording, just tell me. I can strike you from the recording. Uh, we vote for Poem of the Month every month by audience vote. The way to vote is to text me, 718-374-1953. I'll repeat this several times throughout the night. 718-374-1953. Okay, I think that is all. So I'm going to bring up our feature reader before we start the open mic proper. Give it up for Julie Hart. Thank you. That was a really great um, workshop. I thought everyone did great. Okay. So I'm uh, reading two, just two poems, which should take under three minutes altogether. They're both about a living person, and at the end there's a quiz about which one is an elegy. Okay. <laughs> the first one is, dear, uh, sorry, letter to N from the other side of the room. Dear N, Adjusting to present circumstances rather poorly, but hoping to do better soon. Wouldn't you know togetherness is not all that's cracked up to be? Alone is hard enough, but alone in a crowd of semi-well-wishers seems worse somehow. My own best friend, my own worst enemy, simultaneously. Wishing I could go to rehab for the rest, but not willing to drink enough to get sent there. <laughs> How much is too much? Never enough. Which will it be? Slowing down young people, hurrying up old people, never going my own natural pace. For no reason, I keep remembering how we used to have all the time in the world, used it slowly and luxuriantly. We never had too much time together, never got bored. Now we have no time, not beholden to others. I think of your mouth curving into that krum kaka smile I often fear means you're laughing at me. But no, you're just laughing. <laughs> Everything's so sad and hilarious. It must be true. Okay, so this one is called Memento Mori, so maybe you can just mark it as the elegy. Okay. I see you've noticed the skull. It was his idea. After donating the brain to Princeton, it was picked clean by beetles at the Science Museum, sawn in half, hinged, fitted with this hook. I could keep things in it, old keys, rubber bands, paper clips, worn erasers, but I won't. Yes, I talked to it. The teeth still seem to be him. The rest, not so much. Some people find it creepy, but to me it's comforting, this part of him that thought and ate and talked, above all, talked. I'm still honing my thoughts against his head as a whetstone, imagining his jaw dropping, his eye sockets thrown to the sky, his laugh filling the whole room, any room. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Julie Hart, one of the originals, along with Bill Livingston, Robert Gibbons, Ricky Hernandez. Um, our first reader, last time she was the first reader of the open mic list, she won Poem of the Month, so uh, that bodes well for the evening. Give it up for Hannah Donovan. Maybe a little more, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. 
Um, I'm not sure where this falls on Elegy, but I think it's kind of fitting for the Elegy for the Living that we just did. Um, this poem's called The Jumper. A suit with little room for much else, except a pooling of fear at the throat, perhaps, where the zipper starts. I search the lineup for his red and white, his shape merely a suggestion from the height he climbs to. A miniature carrying two chopsticks. I will never know the true weight of those utensils, but I have felt the true weight of the jumper. He appears on the in-run like a blink. He breathes in long and slow, the same ice caught in my lungs. Another batting and he is sliding. Another and he's gone. The next time we meet, he is airborne, a stamp on the sky. Gravity would tell us he's floating down, but I don't trust it. He seems so beautifully suspended, an ornament hung on some weighty, invisible hook. But eventually, he does touch down, an easy glide into the landing, past the crowds, past me, past all possible darkness. Since then, the snows have sloughed off the slopes and he and I have gone into a different kind of sliding. On my best days, I wish him well. I loosen my grip, something melts. I miss the jumper. I think of him every day. No longer mine, I charge the sky with his care and remind myself, ritual-like, as if carving deep grooves for skis, that I want to love like he jumps and to live like he lands. Thank you. Nicely done, Hannah. So if you don't know, uh, we vote on Poem of the Month every month and then the 12 winners of Poem of the Month compete for Poem of the Year uh, in December. So Hannah will be first on that list. Um, and Mary's son, who can't be here tonight, will be second on that list. You might be third, unless you're Hannah, in which case you can't win twice, because <laughs> you've already won once. Um, okay, our next reader is a former Poem of the Month winner. He competed for the Poem of the Year Award last year. Give it up for Keith Woodrow. And this is from a very long poem that I've been writing for years. I just keep adding little stanzas to it. It's a bunch of letters, little letters, usually of discontent, that I call epistles. To the very tall man at the very short urinal, best of luck. <laughs> to the next novel I read wherein the author thoroughly explains the Monty Hall problem like it's profound or something, I will break your spine. <laughs> to the impotent wizard Dr. Oz, you can eat a whole bag, which, fun fact, has amazing weight loss properties. <laughs> to all trans folk, I love you. To post-recession menswear, there's a way to do this right, and if the drawing board doesn't have the word rhinestones circled in enthusiastic eight times, we're not going to get there. <laughs> to the homophobic wind, your ignorance of the care with which I arranged my hair this morning reminds me of the absence of God. <laughs> to the part of me that makes dreams, thank you for letting me talk to him again. 
to the office AC unit on full blast in February, everyone here has watched my body shutting down, my eyelids fluttering, and I have none of the grace of a singer-sergeant muse in repose. <laughs> to the product engineer who designed square paper potty covers for long oval potties. <laughs> The sliver of the back of my thigh that regularly makes contact with cold bowl wishes every misery upon you <laughs> and your family. Damn, I felt like you had more time left. I wanted to hear more of that. You should just keep reading from that all year. Well, that was, I'm serious. That was damn good. Okay, our next reader, I think this says Jerry Wagoner, yes? It's a very funky handwriting tonight. All right, we'll give it up for Jerry Wagoner. I just got down a little bit, yeah, thanks. No, thank you. All right, uh, yeah. Okay, so... This isn't exactly an elegy. It's, it's like most of my poems, it's about me. Uh, uh, our plane is now in its final descent. I'm flying from New York. Our mother is on life support. My seat back in flight movie, Marvel's Deadpool, has entered the final climatic broil on a scrapyard of junk comic book weaponry where a decommissioned shield hover carrier braced on iron is spread table-like backlit against the sky. The poetry's in the scale. Our plane is now in its final descent. There is no hope for a retrofit. The carrier is a ghost ship to be dismantled. My mother was patient for the shocks that fracture ribs and sternum when her boiler went cold. The film's amped soundtrack screams an undulating keen of malleable mass rending itself in gravity's chokehold while hero and villain slam each other into tons and tons of steel. Our plane is now in its final descent. I'm afraid the plane will land before the movie ends. Why final? Nothingness and being brawl on the gray flight deck of an obsolete mothership for toothless gums and skinned knees. In life, her natural buoyancy defied gravitas. In the movie, the center shifts to grave. The battlers battle her hold on the horizontal until the ship shifts, tilts, then topples finally in a glorious Hollywood percussive roaring impact. Our plane is in its final descent. After an excess of well-intentioned pounding, Mom's ember heart re-sparked, though the bridge did not respond. Is our final descent a tailspin to the terminal? Up here, the descendant. I glide through night to Great Falls, flat on my face to facts. I am the elder child. I am the final voice. I will choose to remove the alien technology. I will hold your hand 
We will audit each breath and when the ripple marks from you, a pebble plopped into a still pond fade, I will sit dumb and listen. That's beautiful, Jerry. Thank you. Uh, okay, our next reader is a Yop debuter, and I really have no idea how to pronounce this name. Is it Kadejatu? Kadejatu sounds much better. That's right? Kadejatu Dramel? Drame. Screwed up both parts. Kadejatu Drame. Give it up for Kadejatu. going to be presenting. I didn't know that's what I signed up for. <laughs> um, but I guess <laughs> um, I will read uh, something. I'm like super scared. <laughs> um, okay. Okay, so I wrote this poem like I wasn't feeling well one of these days and my teacher sent me a poem at, at night and I sent him a poem back. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. As I open my eyes, these salted oceans begin to rise. My windpipes are too weak to breathe in or out. My heart sometimes forgets to beat. I understand that we all have our demons and somehow mine seem to be unimportant. Sometimes my demons fight back, but when they don't fight, they eat the remnants of what's left of me. My heart repairs itself every time, but every time my heart has to repair its itself, it feels as though it's getting closer to the end. My heart has given up all of its blood. Not even words are good enough. Part of my heart will always be taken. The part of you inside of me has become invisible, but yet dark. It is dark in my heart. And as these salted oceans run down these smooth sands, they remember the once upon a time, the memories, the what ifs. No matter how much I hate these oceans, the feelings it gives, I can't I can't let go because it's part of me. It feels as though this burden has been lifted, this darkness between us. Now there's nothing between us. No darkness, no light, just this gaping hole that none of us want to fix. Maybe I, maybe I may seem strong, but I am too weak to do this alone on my own. And yet you look so strong, but just like me, you've become weak on the inside. What I, what I need is what I want, and what I want is what I need. I don't want you, but I need you. And I don't need you, I just want you. These oceans will never stop. My heart will never fully repair. Because the part that is stolen, the part that is missing, it's the last hope. I don't know if it will fix me, but it kills me to know. There is nothing else that I can do but let these tears, these oceans, carry me away. Whether it is to eternal happiness or eternal misery. The storm, whirlpool, hurricane, tsunami. It's hard to escape. Only few make it out alive. Will I die or will I survive? My, f my last finger is holding on to hope. Only miracles can make me hold on tighter, longer. Maybe I'll become stronger. But as I see it, fate is the only thing I know. Thank you. Congratulations. How's that feel? <laughs> yeah. You just thought you were signing up for the event, huh? Yeah, the, the open mic list. <laughs> You're right, Jen. 
Did I make you sick? Yeah, you might want to move to the back row. <laughs> I'm telling you, I got sick. Like it just it, like came on suddenly. It was like fuck. I'm I'm like dying now. Um, okay, our next reader is a former Yop Poem of the Month winner and Poem of the Year winner. So it can happen to you. Also, I keep saying that. It's so annoying. Anyway, uh, give a warm welcome to Julia Knobloch. This poem is called Badlands, um, like in the Bruce Springsteen song. The sun set behind the refinery as we left the turnpike. He never thought he'd find himself in a Bruce Springsteen song, he said. It wasn't meant in a good way. Nothing was ever good enough. The Montauk Motel Cheap, the two-bedroom in Sunset Park, too far from East Williamsburg. His mother came from white trash, he said. She was on her own Pulaski Skyway. She would not let his father make the same mistake the first wife made, he chuckled. His father warned me in one rare moment of banter to not make the same mistake and name the son after the father. His mother glared at me with his raccoon eyes, cute at first, full of garbage. <laughs> Five weeks later, I wished I ran for my life through frozen woods between Chappaqua and Pleasantville, stiff on a Subaru seat, his fist in my face. You deserve to die, you fucking bitch, he yelled. He mocked the meritocracy, but could not bear to be left out of it until he fucked and won the Harvard graduate. <laughs> Without legacy, I was insufficiently exotic to cure his envy and anxiety, his rage about the prep school prom he missed, deemed not good enough for Bethesda's ladies. I did not agree to swinger sex to ease his adolescent fever dreams. Had I been French, I might have lasted a tad longer. <laughs> Sundays I summer at the shore while vultures travel out of state, complete with Subaru, dog, cat, and baby girl, whose dad threw my food onto the floor, her mom picked from cadavers. The pieces only seem to fit together. I will rise above these badlands. There is light at the edge of town. Thank you. It occurs to me, Julie, you're <laughs> compiling quite a, a catalog of really the shittiest men on earth. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like I've heard about at least 50 terrible men <laughs> in your poems over the years. This, was, this one was definitely up there. Wow. What a piece of work. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Maybe a lot of the poems are actually about the same man. That's true. Yeah. Well, it's a testament to your poetry. You make them seem like 50 men, <laughs> right? You might as well make them seem like different guys. Get as many poems out of it as possible, right? Okay, uh, our next reader is the curator or host of his own open mic. Give it up for Harvey Sauce. And uh, before I read a uh, short poem, I'd like to invite you uh, to, as uh, was mentioned, an open mic that I host on a monthly basis on the third Saturday of each month from 4 to 6 
at the historic Montauk Club. Uh, some of you have flyers. If anyone is interested in either reading or otherwise participating, uh, tap me on the good shoulder, which is the right one, uh, before I leave. This is called, and uh, you heard this one. Uh, you're the only one. Encountering RBG in an elevator at Sloan Kettering. An homage. How frail this frame appears which guards the flame, afraid that any inward rush of air might gum up the engine of a mighty mouse that's on her way. I wait for Justice Ginsburg to exit before pain meds render us both stone-faced as Quetzalcoatl, trying and failing not to stare at her tiny feet while doing so. How those feet, shoulders thin as bird song on an updraft, all in all comprising an unexpected meme of lady justice, can support dead weight of decision-making I simply can't get. Robed in a hospital blanket, radiologic loss of hair suggests a being more skinhead than supreme, slippered as I am in rubber-treaded hospital beds. While the great woman is wheelchaired from the elevator, the intensive care equivalent of being carried on a palanquin, I'm bounced around on a gurney going down, events moving too quickly to do more than ask for an autograph. Sub-vocal greetings zip line between us then. A boson to boson collision breaking out the faintest flicker of a smile. Notorious RBG, biceps bulging a bit from gripping padded armrests to keep from slipping, nods into her lap. Fierceness of heart's argument, gentled by a morphine drip. All right, thank you, Harvey. Uh, our next reader was telling me about bronchitis <laughs> earlier. Now I'm worried that's what I have. Give it up for Bonnie Belay. Just because I had bronchitis doesn't mean you do. <laughs> this is my poem to A Street, Brooklyn. <coughs> Eighth Street, Brooklyn. Look in the shadows for the sharp dark moving around the row houses, the windows curtain people you've met on the street. The houses sit up against the sidewalks. I search window boxes for some surprising flower, but people plant what they've put in the year before. I've learned to escape crazy by crossing the street. <laughs> learned to avoid Vanessa, who kicked me out of book club. Learned... <laughs> because I read a poem. <laughs> he uh, learned the homeowners on the other side don't talk to the renters on this side. Learned the Brooklyn beer man on the corner told his wife he loved her and his mistress asked if they could all live together. <laughs> We're here because the place is rent stabilized, because we called the fire department, because we called in the gas leak the firemen in the basement knocking through locked boxes with an ax to find the valve that turns off the gas. 
the tiles fall off the bathroom walls. The walls cry for paint. So used to being here, it's home. Thank you, Bonnie. Always a pleasure. Uh, okay, our next reader is, we've heard from her before, but not for a while, at the Yops. I'm excited to have her back. Give it up for Marietta Brill. Thank you. Hi. So um, I've been trying to improve my terrible handwriting, and so um, I've realized that there are certain letters that give me trouble and some, some that I really love. Like the letter M is really easy to write, and it gives me pleasure to write it. So I wrote an ode to the letter M. OM, what would we be without you, dear undulating expression of lusciousness? We'd range without peaks, valley downhill. Without you, we'd be at sea without waves. We'd be a saw without teeth, a tooth without chew. Essential to filigree, all patterns would sputter without you. We'd be flattened, uninclined, plaintive, unwavering. Dull as a tack, no turns to take, a rope drawn taut. Without you, we'd need to learn words to all songs by heart. And without you, to gauge our pulse, what would we know of our hearts? Oh, dear M, you are the mm in me. May I forever turn, may I, may, may I forever hum your sexy tune of oh yes, please, thank you there. May I forever taste the umami of you in every torn bite. May I feel the reverberating ohm of you, the purr of my machine. May I waver, ripple, swell, and flow in the pure manner of you. May I kiss each tender knuckle. Thank you. All right. <laughs> it's getting hot in here. Uh, it's like literary sex, right? <laughs> the best kind. Uh, our next reader is a very brave man. You know him well. Give it up for Alan Braverman. It's, it's good to be back at, uh, at uh, Poetry Yop, hosted by Jason Koo. I, I took a bad fall on the sidewalk a few weeks ago, slipping on a Christmas tree. Oy vey. And uh, being Jewish, uh, I'm nearly uh, recovered, and, and I want to read my poems at this wonderful venue. It takes more than concrete to take out a braver man. Okay. Um, the poem I'm going to read is called My Poetic Encounters with a Musical Background for Me. Um, my Poetic Encounters, an Iraqi encounter. I place my coat on a rack, hoping it's bulletproof, preventing another bag for dad. A, be a beer encounter. The bud seeks the light to warm the spirit as it blossoms along a branch of life. A sexual encounter. Priests and nuns, their vow of celibacy 
in a procreative world where a man can penetrate a woman without sin. An artistic encounter, Monet leaves an impression on Surratt as he points the way for Picasso. His blue period defines Pollock's descent into the expression of the ab abstract. A Darwinian encounter, the origin of the species, where evolution becomes revolution, a survival of the fittest as our globe is warming and the deniers are swarming. A marital encounter, the bride and groom say I do, and for whom the bell tolls is reduced to a ring, a wake-up call regarding a cheating husband who seeks higher office. I wonder who that is. A Freudian encounter. I dream of Sigmund while Jung resting on a couch in a state of neuroses, trying to psych out the therapist. A celebrity encounter. The red carpet, a modern day version of the Arabian Nights, transporting mortals to fame and fortune and no genie necessary to honor their wishes. A Yankee stadium encounter as a non-Confederate in uniform arrives at the base with a wooden weapon to strike at an innocent ball with the hope of arising, of arriving home. A Shakespearean encounter. An isolated Hamlet lives a merchant of Venice fearful of a neighbor called, named Othello with threats to shake a spear. Edgar Allan Poe encounter. Annabelle Lee hears the raven knocking at her door. She escapes and is murdered in the room morgue, facing a premature burial. A classroom encounter, the quest for metaphors in a school with standardized testing. And the last uh, part of my poem is uh, a tribute to uh, Black History Month. A Martin, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. encounter. I have dreamed that if young um, African-American males are profiled, may the police examine the content of their character than the color of their skin. Thank you. Thank you, Alan. Glad you're feeling better. Ain't no concrete gonna take down a braver man. <laughs> That's what I've always said. Yeah. Uh, our next reader is a former Broken Poets fellow. Is that right, Preeti? That's right, right? Preeti Shah, where are you? I just gave you a fellowship in my head. <laughs> Why did I think you would? Anyway, maybe you will one day. That happened to Nikki. Uh, Where's Nikki? Yeah. Remember when I said you won Poem of the Month and you hadn't? And then you won, <laughs> then you won Poem of the Month that day? So uh, maybe that's a sign. I don't know. This is super weird. Anyway, give it up for Preeti Shah. Um, so currently I'm on this journey, personal journey, where I'm trying to find out about uh, my birth parents. And so this is a poem about them, it's called Seeking Roots. A river poured out to the ocean, sorry. A river poured out to the ocean, the transfer of trust between birth parents and my adopted ones. But its mouth has since been closed. I am neither river nor ocean. I am the boat that sails back in knots, using oars to pierce at the lips of a dam to carve two bodies of water back into one, where I was made by nature and nurture. 
Set to discover where wood was hammered and sanded to create bow and stern, where cloth was dyed and hung to sail into the clouds, into a future. I am that boat that wades unevenly and trembles with the water's acoustic range of vibratos and timbres. My hull echoes eerily. I am not them, a distortion of creeks. I sing rusted larynx, sinking voice. I am not them. I am a boat sailing to sail, sometimes deep in postulations, sometimes stuck in mud, still as death, always fearful to capsize, even when navigating with compass and convoy, even while being raised in smooth waters. But now I am gaining momentum. The dam is breaking, splintering my oars. The ocean and the river are not two. They rekindle to kiss as one again. And now I want more. I want to go back. Back when an ocean drank a river, when my birth parents were not words on paper. Back before they made me, when an ax hit a tree. I want to go back, before mom, before dad, before them. I want to go back when a boat never existed. Well done. Okay, that was 10 readers, so let me review those people for you. That was Preeti Shah. Before that was Alan Braverman, Marietta Brill, Bonnie Belay, Harvey Sauce, Julia Knobloch. <coughs> One moment. <laughs> Khadija to Drame, is that right? Jerry Wagoner, Keith Woodrow, and Hannah Donovan. <coughs> Our next reader is Candy Wolf. Give it up for Candy. I have to make this a little short. A lot short. <laughs> well, Jason, you'll be happy because it's a very short poem tonight. <laughs> <laughs> And it's called Secular New Year's Eve. <laughs> it's Secular New Year's Eve, and I'm sitting with my, I'm staying with my friend and her family. The age of her four children are five to 15. Right now we're in the living room, the television is on, and it's showing rain in Times Square. Two of her kids are playing dolls and school with building blocks. And two of uh, the other two are putting together a jigsaw puzzle. I hope to one day share my voice and love with the man again. But tonight, I'm feeling the warmth I need inside this home. short. Also good. Uh, thank you for that. I think I've recovered. <laughs> uh, thanks to Emily for getting me a glass of water. Uh, our next reader is one of the two people named Gerber Flurry. Give it up for Tim Gerber Flurry. <laughs> Oh, sure. All good. 
All right. Um, for those who are familiar with the geography of France, there's this area on the west coast called Bretagne, uh, Brittany or Bretagne, uh, depending. Um, and in Bretagne, there's this smaller area called Le Pays Bigoudin, the Bigoudin country, which is like just a, like another a subdivision of uh, like culturally, geographically, and they're a little more Celtic than the rest of Anyway, um, <laughs> the title of the poem is the name of this place in Breton language, which is Arvro Vigouden. Arvro Vigouden. On the western point of Bretagne is a granite walled house. It stands in the back of a long garden of rose bushes and cherry trees, so far back you can't see it from the road. The woman who owns it is a sweet Christian widow who welcomes her guest with hot coffee and Breton cakes. Prune far, quignaman, butter cookies for the kids, served on a plastic table in the garden covered with a traditional cloth. The house may look somber, the effect of the cold gray granite, but the way the sunlight hits the dining room through the window, dancing on the wood panels on the walls and the heavy, oak, the heavy dark brown oak table, as well as the smell of brown butter in the kitchen and fresh cut grass in the garden, gives it the inviting feeling of a warm embrace lasting just the right amount of time the feeling of belonging in the stranger's home, a harbor. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. Oh, man. Our next reader. <laughs> My brain is just, that intro for you is so terrible, so. I was about to introduce this next poet. She has three names, but I'm just not even going to say that, <laughs> even though I just said it. Um, anyway, our next poet is Sarah Lynn Rogers. Give it up for Sarah. I think I'm good, Arthur. Thanks. I know a lot of people brought elegies, um, but it's February, and I brought a love poem. <laughs> it's called Two of Cups. Before he lost the ring in the river, before the year spent overseas meeting strangers for whom we'd always been wed, before the communal bacchanal house at the top of the hill, or the beetle-infested San Jose apartment, the year of random arsons, before the midnight drives from shared bed to solo, we charted eucalyptus tunnels harmonizing vocals to our favorite sad beauty musicians en route to and from the tiny venues where we'd see them play, and his own shows where I'd note that pleasure pain face above his guitar and wonder if it was the same he'd make above a lover. And if it was, would I ever be the one to see it, to orchestrate something so holy? Thank you. Good. Makes me excited for Valentine's Day. 
That's this Thursday, isn't it? Oh boy. I just I just hope I just hope I can like not cough on Valentine's Day. Um you got big plans, Sarah? <laughs> Why not? Yep. You, you have that amazing poem. <laughs> oh, well that sounds nice. Oh, okay. Oh, you're just like they're not big plans. Oh, okay. I feel bad for him. She's like, oh, well, it's not big plants. <laughs> just, just, just gonna be with my husband. Um, yeah, is that what happens when you get married? Because uh, my wife was just like, "What do you say we do for Valentine's Day? Should we like get each other gifts or no?" I vote no. <laughs> she like didn't even give me a chance to make my vote first. I was like, "Well, <laughs> I guess I'm gonna vote no too." Wow. Well, we haven't even married a year. Yeah. <laughs> the Gerber flurries know it well. Are you? Do you guys? You don't get each other gifts. Yeah. Just does any married couple still get each other Valentine's? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I'm a bi- I don't know. I'm a big romantic guy, you know. I gotta, but that's true. You know. You know. You know. A lot of married years ahead. Gotta economize. <laughs> anyway. She's gonna blabber on. She's gonna listen to this podcast. Just be like, "This is over." All right. Uh, I didn't see Creighton Blinn here. Did you? Anyone see Creighton? Negative. Negative. Mary's son. Pretty sure she's not here. Uh, next boat I know is here. Get it for Todd Friedman. There is a Yiddish proverb that fits this poem. The proverb is, you plan and God laughs. My daughter was born 22 years ago this month, and it's hard for me to believe that she's about to graduate college, is about to start working for Adobe, and she's about to get married. And she was born at the end of the month, and she was taking her time. She, we, she just didn't want to make her appearance. And we had all these plans. Um, my wife wanted to have a midwife. She was going to give birth in a swimming pool in the apartment. <laughs> and I was really worried about that swimming pool. Um, I was worried that it would leak into the neighbor's apartment below us. So I tested it out, and I don't know what I would have done if it did leak. And I filled it up, and it was, I don't know, about this high. And then there was a pump that took all the water out, and it worked. But um, three weeks into, um, three weeks after she was supposed to be born, um, the midwife came over and um, took my daughter's heartbeat and it was very low and we had a race out of the apartment and my wife wanted to kill me because I was grabbing things to take along. And um, we got out there and uh, we had to go through the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel in order to get to a hospital that doesn't exist anymore in the village and we waved down the police and we got a police escort. So this was, this was a poem I wrote to my daughter to encourage her to make her entrance. It's called In the 42nd Week. Your mother has placed fresh pink tulips in vases around the house. 
already they have opened ever so slightly. Maybe it is her way of calling you, or maybe she senses a sister spirit in the flowers, and each one is calling out to her, just watch me, just watch how I do it. Of course it is not the same, and neither is the hazy moon above just short of full, one minute visible, the next minute totally hidden behind the clouds, yet it reminds me of you pushing against the walls of your universe, then suddenly dormant. Now we watch and wait like those in ancient Israel who stood in the dark night waiting for the first sighting of a new moon, ready to run out and proclaim it with joy. We wait for your sign. Thank you. Well done. <laughs> Have you showed that poem to your wife? Yes. Yeah. That'd be a good Valentine's Day present. Yeah. You don't get her, you don't get each other gifts, do you? You see? And look at look at the look at the kind of poems he writes. <laughs> yeah, good for you, Todd Freeman. Uh, <laughs> is Shanice Hughes Greenberg here? I don't know if I saw her, okay, maybe not. Shanice, no. Okay, our next reader is a uh, multiple Yop Award winner. Let's not, let's not bore all of us with all the awards. Give it up for Arthur Russell. Hi. My daughter's also 22. And that, that expression exists in every language. In Spanish, it's uh, hombre propone y Dios dispone. And it's the same thing everywhere you look. Also, uh, Laura Murphy's going to be reading next, and she's given me one of her minutes. So <laughs> just so you know, we worked it out. And I, I, was, I was a little bit. Um, you know, put off by the fact that you've gotten a lot of, uh, what is it, then between us poems, and some of them didn't really make any sense to you because um, I wasn't sure this one would either. <laughs> so now I'm totally downhearted, and I'll rely on all of you to bring me back up. It's called Sarah, to Sarah. When you are old and gone of mind, and I am dead, animal dead. Keep this rent-producing property. <laughs> and please, collect the rents. Go out, if you must, in your pink house slippers with fur on the inset and your shepherd on a leash. Mutter that stuff about your mother at the bus stop. Pick up empty bottles from the street and do without combing your hair, but please, Sarah, stomp up and down the stairs on the first so they hear you coming. Shave in a haircut, knock, and call out, landlord, with your eye against the peephole. Don't trust Gruden, the plumber. He'll sell you your own toilet. But Harold is reliable for legal. 
Also, Sylvia at Citibank is good <laughs> for municipal bonds, but don't buy an annuity from her. So much has gone wrong in the kitchen and the crutches and Elliot with his asthma and the physical miss between us. And I've been so bitter. The books in the back bedroom are strangers to me now. Remember the Kandinsky, that skinny book of Kandinsky prints? That was such a happy day. It's in the back bedroom, in the shelves under the window. Now I'm only Goldberg the landlord with crutches. And you are Goldberg the landlord with crutches wife. When you die, Russell, the guy who owns the car wash next door, will buy this building from your estate. And then he'll send his son, that pretentious prick, <laughs> to clean out our apartment. And he'll smoke a cigarette in our back bedroom and look out through the accordion gates down Church Avenue towards Borough Park, where we first met outside the candy store when you asked me to buy you a cigarette. Two cents for a Lucy, and it came with a match. He'll throw almost everything away. He'll find the Kandinsky book. He'll sit on the bookcase, smoke his cigarette, look out the window, read the introduction, admire the pictures, and keep it for a souvenir of how he suffered working for his father, or as some kind of perverted proof that he is superior to all of the mercantile idiots like his father and me who worked for what we have. He'll keep that Kandinsky on his bookshelves when he goes to graduate school in, Syn in Syracuse, keep it in his apartments in Brighton, Park Slope, Greenwich Village, Chelsea, keep it when he gives up his stupid dreams of becoming an artiste. He never had any talent. To become a lawyer, get married, move to Jersey, have a kid, and bookshelves bookshelves everywhere he went, 20, 30 years of boxing the same books, college books, grad school books, his wife's mysteries, until one day after his wife leaves him, he'll remember you, Sarah, and your scruffy shepherd, and me with my two amputated feet lost in a trolley car accident, swinging on polio crutches from one property to the next, shaving a haircut knocking, calling out landlord, and he'll reimagine us as images that capture the sense of style and loss that he likes to think he understands, the way that what you wanted as a kid can be shunted into tedious commerce. And he'll go down to his basement and pull out that Kandinsky book and see how the show was mounted in May of 1945, just months after Kandinsky himself had died. And he'll picture us, Sarah, when we were young and hip, how we went up to Harlem to see Lucky Roberts play the stride piano, how we went to see Kandinsky at the Museum of Non-Objective Art before it was called the Guggenheim 
being in love before the trolley, before Elliot and his asthma made me a bitter puss, buying that book on the last day of the show. And it was such a big deal for you. You said, please, Morris, let's get the book. And your voice made this thing, my sternum, hum. So I had to buy it for you. And what would later become your stiff gray hair was beautiful brown and down to your shoulders in waves I compared to Barbara Stanwyck. And you'd say, no, I don't look at all like her. But you did. Well done. It's a minute well used. Is that the poem you wrote for the prompt? Yeah. I think that works. Yeah. I mean, you should see the other stuff I'm seeing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's solidly in the ballpark of Whitman, I would say. Okay, our next reader is our uh, reigning co-winner of Yacht Poem of the Year. Give it up for Laura Murphy. I also thought I would do a love poem for February. Um, I, I actually don't have many. This is the only love romantic poem I have where like things are going well. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I'm a little inexperienced, but um, please bear with me. November Abed. Sleep restless, skidding across consciousness, come to bed, dark room, glass of water, always too hot up here, tremors of sleep rolling, your body jolting, waiting to tip you over when you start snoring. It might seem boring to toggle through worries and end in blessings, just to be here, next to you, dreaming, fleeting Pleasures, pressures, passions, friends, missed deadlines, free falling, alarm ringing, calling us back to morning, aching November morning, lights on, already working, men in black boots, smoke-worn faces, Chelsea streets, desolate places, morning news churning through, every headline is not much we can do, no solace except for maybe dull moments stolen with you, baby. <laughs> okay, love is in the air tonight. Um, you got big plans this Thursday? Oh, see, <laughs> I like that answer. Anyone else got big plans this, this Thursday? No, no. <laughs> like, nope. <laughs> you said that so defiantly, it was wonderful. Uh, nope. There's something really special about the word nope, right? <laughs> nope. Okay, our next reader is our Yopper of the Year from 2018. Give it up for Bill Livingston. Keep it going for Jason. <laughs> Hardest working man in Poe biz. <laughs> in sickness and in health. 
for any of you who ever wanted to clone yourself, this is for you. It's called my clone. I cloned myself not long ago. It didn't take long, maybe four hours. Working with a nail clipping from the subway platform, I grew a new self. They say clones are inferior to the original. Mine was smarter, stronger, younger, and fortified with 30% more rage. It followed my orders like a loyal and rare intern, uninterested in promotions, fancy coffee, or getting back to school at summer's end. My clone satisfied my animal urges, no guilt. Didn't complain about his cheap ramen noodles. I made him learn how to cook, fix a toilet, wire a house, lay a brick, build a bookshelf, and repair a Nissan to save money for better noodles. I taught him to drive so he, he could move the car on street cleaning days. <laughs> Utilizing that extra rage, he's attending all of the marches, protests, and rallies. He knows which train to take to D.C. He makes his own signs with clever slogans. My favorite, we'll trade races for refugees. The other side, Trumpy Dumpty have a great fall. He calls all the congressmen and women and screams at whoever answers the phone until they're reduced to tears. He writes scathing letters to the NRA, donates to the ACLU and Planned Parenthood. He's a kind and thoughtful clone when his rage is under control. He pre-reads books of poetry and makes recommendations to me. His thirst for graphic novels will not be tolerated. Now he makes a decent Greek omelet, half of which I let him eat. He makes my life so much easier. And he wrote this poem in front of a dirty mirror. I'll take the credit and he'll clean the glass. Thank you. Well done, Bill. Yeah, Bill's, Bill Livingston just killing it lately. Uh, wow. Uh, our next reader, we're on to the wait list. We have time for uh, at least, I would say at least four poets. Is Joanna Hoffman here? Yep. All right, she's already out of her chair. Give it up for Joanna Hoffman. Thank you. Hi, everyone. So, uh, Sorry to be the person to read a heartbreak poem the week of Valentine's Day, but no, I'm, not, I'm not that sorry because I'm still going to read it. So there we go. Uh, this poem starts with a quote from uh, the late, great Mary Oliver. If the doors of my heart ever close, I am as good as dead. There are so few times in my life I can say I honestly didn't care. I can count them. One when I slept with a man just to see if I'd feel anything and didn't. And two, when my mother got sick and all I cared about was seeing her laugh again. If I ever loved you or liked you or even called you my friend, know that I meant it and that my word is my blood and that if all between us ever feels shattered or worse, gone, the way a house can one day become a hill of wreckage or a body a flawed container for cargo you loved, know that it will live as long as I do. As long as I have breath, I will remember you. 
And I suppose what I most want is for someone to say that to me and to hold that truth over my head in the dark. Someone I thought I could have one day loved told me friendship is a kind of true love. And she's right, of course, though I suppose the curse of this sloppy heart is that it learns a way to love and then doesn't know how to love a new way. Maybe that's a rule I made up myself. I don't know. Of course, I don't regret any of it. Any of the time that I looked at her too long that led her to say, you started to look at me differently. And I wish I could have seen the time she kissed me in the dark after my contacts were out and all I had were my hands and her breath crashing against my neck. Of course I knew this might end, and badly. Of course I still kissed her back and spent the night and rode my bike to the hospital and stayed till two in the morning by her side. Who would I be if I had not? When she told me it was over, I asked if she was sure, even though I knew the answer, even though it made my stomach twist, because if there is ever a chance of what might look like joy, I don't ever want to think I didn't try. All right. Nothing says Valentine's Day like heartbreak. How many of you actually like Valentine's Day? Let's take a poll. I see one hand. <laughs> Very brave back there. Oh, Nikki. Oh, okay. Two more. Wow, three, three people. This is like a resounding nope. <laughs> okay, noted. Uh, well, I mean, we're poets. I mean, what do you expect? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I vote no. <laughs> I can't wait to use that in my own text message one day. What do you, what do you think about birthday gifts on your 30th birthday? I vote no. <laughs> I don't think that'll go over so well. Uh, <laughs> our next reader is Jen Ozero. Give it up for Jen. Um, this is <coughs> an aside. Thank you, Art. It's an aside, but my best Valentine's Day story is I went out to um, a cafe when my sister, who's gay also, visiting from San Francisco and the waiters kept bringing us Valentine's Day menus and, <laughs> and saying, you know, it's, you're just a really lovely couple and we're, like, we're really sisters, not sisters, but okay. <laughs> um, this, this poem is called No Show. A description is like telling, I don't wanna give it all away. I am working on that even when it is impossible. How did my interior life get so one note? Write about something else, something from the outside, about something beautiful or joyful or some longing I met coming around the corner, breathless. Once I made a large drawing on a sheet of white rag paper, ebony pencil, and a white Mars plastic eraser. I covered the entire surface with the phrase, my friend, repeating from top to bottom corner to corner. I'd made a pattern of those two words using text, and that text particularly started out as an exploration and a wish combined. It ended as an incantation. I remember I brought it to a small gallery in San Francisco to show the gallery owner. 
He was annoyed, distracted, <laughs> or both. He held my drawing roughly in his hands and wouldn't meet my eye. I can't show this, he said, neither elaborating or telling the truth. Mm -hmm. I can't show something that just says my friend over and over, he said, thrusting it back into my hands and dismissing me literally. I could hardly hold it afterwards, light as it was. He couldn't see that it was a diagrammatic drawing of my deepest unwanted solitude. All my guts were hidden with care among the letters. Maybe I'd used invisible ink, but I told the truth over and over and turned myself in. I would like to see that piece. Sounds amazing. Fuck that guy. You know, you know what I like to say? Fuck that guy. I can imagine that guy, too. So easily. Uh, our next reader is our old friend, Alex Giorgio. Give it up for Alex. Hello, everybody. Uh, yeah, we nailed it. Um, some of these are tough acts to follow, so... Um, so this is something sort of different from my usual jam, I think. I, um, I was reading this fantastic memoir that's about the New York School of Poets and largely about Frank O'Hara. And so I wrote this poem, which I call Poem in the Manner of Frank O'Hara. <laughs> is it true you started weeping when you came across that picture of John Ashbery in Watermill? Yes, well, I weep all the time, not because I am sad, but because everything eventually meets everything else. Isn't it gratifying? Anyway, it wasn't about John's clever eyebrows, and I am having a perfectly good time. On Sunday, I saw a Japanese film about family, then walked down Houston Street in search of something left over. Norma wanted to work, which disappointed me. Come walk the streets with me, Norma. Have those dirty martinis you like. Am I not shinier than your manuscripts? At Milano's, a group of Venezuelans watched the Super Bowl. It didn't seem to matter much. The man next to me was a pilot. Monday, he was on call for a flight to Ohio. I've never been to Ohio, but I showed him a poem by Frank O'Hara and showed the bartender, too, because I wanted to make him cry. He was charming and took several cigarette breaks. In the spring, he'll be playing Macbeth at a theater right by my old apartment on Rivington Street. Doesn't it make you wild with joy, the clicks and entertainments? I'm trying to explain about John Ashbery, who gave a talk at NYU a few years ago and I think shook my hand. He wasn't dashing anymore, and I won't be either one day. Other than that, his face was the same, clever and unyielding like a clean steel hammer you can count on. I was there with a friend I don't speak to these days, but I'm grateful for the occasion. When Ashbury died, I was in Woodstock, not too far away, writing my more laborious poems, fucking a 22-year-old I liked because he admired me. I don't need to explain myself, do I? This is my youth, isn't it? I am filled with anxieties, and I don't want to spend my days fluffing my wings like a sidewalk pigeon waiting for crumbs. At least the streets are warm for February. If I get dressed and ready now, I'll still make it in time to meet some sharp and begging stranger for a beer. Thank you. 
beautiful. Yeah, that was like an LNG for Ashbury. Ah, the great man, John Ashbury, one of my favorite poets. Um, now I'm all sad. <laughs> you know, thanks. <laughs> I suddenly have an image of myself like freezing in my bed on Saturday. Uh, and just put that image in your minds. <laughs> yeah, this past Saturday. The streets are warm for February, by the way, are they? Like, I guess this last week maybe, but not the week before. Well, I guess I guess that was I guess that was January though. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> I'm sure it will be cold in February eventually. Um, okay, our last reader of the night uh, lives near here. It's from Mansfield. <laughs> trying to give you some bi biographical facts. Give it up for Tony Temperman. <laughs> Can you sing something? I think I could. <laughs> <laughs> Any more questions? More? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. More upper? Thanks, Arthur. Oh, that's what I'm good for. It's a poem called Making Rounds. There are seasons when I dress only as my father. Had the surgical practice collapsed, and all of us came up rather as trees, forsaking rounds and saving strangers' lives, to cut grass and prepare breakfast in a worn three-quarter length robe. I wonder then how the seeds might have grown in the Wood Hill yard more than worthy of tending. If you had come along with us beneath the ginkgo and tangles of raspberry shrubs, had walked the wheelbarrow tracks through the field by our sides, you might have seen it. Even then, strains for smiles, for the other's reassurance. Mm -hmm. Crying would only betray the weight we resolved, but were too frail to carry. Yet we waited for you to come help us carry it. And some still wait and have taken to crying, others to reflection, the silence of a park bench, the rightness of chain link soaking, reflected in a lake, a park bench dream reality, in a pretend youth in in a pretend in a pretend yard in pretend youth, we rust calmly together, and even as overalls would have sufficed, I am still doing the work of fastening a necktie, in the event I ever see you, for the rare instances when I do. In truth, I never even think to wear one, but I remember the fullness of being seen by you once. I wore a yellow tie and a brief glint of, of pride told me you can only really make me proud by saving strangers' lives. Thank you. All right, beautiful poem to close the evening. To vote for Poem of the Month, and I'm going to review the people's names in a second, text me at 718-374-1953. Do not call. <laughs> Do not send dirty pictures. That, ha that, hasn't hap that hasn't happened yet, thankfully. Yeah, I shouldn't, I shouldn't even mention that as a possibility. <laughs> what am I thinking? Text me, 718-374-1953. Giving me the poet's name is the best way to do this. 
that was Tony Timperman, who you just heard. Before that, Alexer Giorgio, Jen Ozero, Joanna Hoffman, Bill Livingston, Laura Murphy, Arthur Russell, Todd Friedman, Sarah Lynn Rogers, <laughs> stop, Tim Gerber Fleury, Candy Wolf, Preeti Shah, Alan Braverman, Marietta Brill, Bonnie Belay, Harvey Sauce, Julia Knobluck, Khadija Tudrame, Jerry Wagoner, Keith Woodrow, and Hannah Donovan. It was a great reading. Uh, thanks to all of you who read tonight. Oh, <laughs> I'm getting there. <laughs> thanks, to Ju <laughs> thanks to Julie Hart, our professor, for leading a wonderful, work wonderful workshop and kicking off the open mic. Uh, what was I gonna say? I totally forgot what I was gonna say. You, you, you screwed. You screwed up my no, mojo. Seven one eight three seven four one nine five three. I'm trying to remember what the hell I was gonna say. Okay, maybe it was. Just, maybe it was just gonna. Oh yes, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah. So if you didn't get to read tonight, sign up as early as possible because the <laughs> the window of time it takes for the advanced uh, lineup to fill is getting smaller and smaller. Last last month it filled before midnight. Right, so it was like between it was like between 9:35 and midnight uh, on January 14th. So people that sign up January 15th, they were already uh, too late. So sign up as soon as possible. Uh, if you wait, you're definitely just going to have to wait for the five open spots at the beginning. Um, our next yop is in March. I think it's March 11th. Yeah, it's a weird it's a weird year when all the days in March are the exact same day. So March 11th. Uh, a Monday, and <laughs> are you going to follow me into hell? Because <laughs> I know I'm going there. <laughs> anyway, um, who's leading the March 11th yop, you ask? Candace Williams. That's going to be especially good. Come out for that. One of our new professors, you know her well, former Brooklyn Poets Fellow, great poet. Uh, she's teaching a workshop on erasure later this spring, so she's going to give you a little bit of a glimpse of that. So you're going to be doing some arts work as well as poetry work, not just sort of typical text on the page, but actually taking text away. Um, okay, so come out for that. Enter our contest. Sign up for our workshops if you wanted to do that. Vote. I'd love to see all these. Some people are taking very conscientious votes, by the way. You should see Julie Hart's vote list. It's like very extensive. She puts a lot of thought into it. Okay, I'm just usually like, yeah, that one felt like the best. <laughs> Julie's got like notes on every one. Yeah. Uh, round of applause for David. Hopefully, hopefully you got some good shots tonight. I was telling, uh, I was telling Emily Blair before this. You guys seen that, that Netflix series, You, about the stalker serial killer dude? And the, you remember that early scene where they go to Greenpoint to go to a poetry open mic? And I'm just like, what fucking poetry open mic is in Greenpoint? <laughs> they, they couldn't Google poetry open mic in Brooklyn and find the Brooklyn Poets Yop. That would have been like the first hit. No. They had to invent a poetry open mic in Greenpoint just so they could go to Greenpoint. But David actually did his homework, right? He's like, oh, Brooklyn Poets. This seems like the place to go. Uh, so I hopefully it works out for you. Thanks for coming. Thanks for being accommodating. If you want to talk to David because you don't want to be in his video, uh, just talk to him. All right. See you in March.
So, there you have it. The Broken Poet, the off open mic for February. Thanks to our professor, Julie Hart, a new Broken Poet professor, for leading a wonderful workshop on the elegy. Julie is currently teaching the full-length version of that workshop in Borum Hill. That workshop runs through, I believe, March 20th. So uh, if you didn't get to take that class, you acted too late. You had all the chances in the world to sign up. Uh, Julie is one of our original yawpers, uh, former yawper of the year, and publisher of the Broken Poets Anthology. Very excited to have her on board with our faculty. Congrats to longtime yawper Alex Sarah Giorgio for winning our February Yawp of the Month award. Yawp Poem of the Month award, I should say. I realize I just wrote she won February Yawp of the Month award <laughs> in our social media posts about it, which is pretty embarrassing, but uh, I hope you can uh, forgive the typo. Alex won for her poem in the manner of Frank O'Hara, which uh, personally... Uh, a favorite of mine. She has earned a spot in our Poem of the Year Smackdown coming your way on December 9th. So put that in your calendar. Our next Yop comes your way on March 11th. It will be led by another new Brooklyn Poets professor and former Brooklyn Poets fellow Candace Williams, a fantastic poet. You may have read her chapbook, Spells for Black Wizards. She will be leading a workshop on erasure poetry, so that will be very fun, I am sure. If you want more info or to sign up, go to brokenpoets.org. That is all. I hope you're well. This weather is crazy. It's snowing one minute and sunny the next. Uh, it's currently sunny right now, so I'm sure it'll be snowing in about an hour. Hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard, please rate us on iTunes. We are still at 18 five-star ratings, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, so it would be great if just two of you out there would get us to 20. I mean, we're not asking for the world here. We're asking for 20 ratings on iTunes. That would be amazing. Okay, thanks for listening, and uh, we will touch base again in March. Thanks. Thanks.